Hello, everybody. My name is Casey Harrison, alongside with fellow State News basketball reporter Chase Michelson, here for, I guess, perhaps finally the uh, last episode of the season for Snooze Hoops, State News basketball podcast. Uh, we're here in downtown East Lansing at the State News newsroom in our podcast studio. And Chase, I, I feel like we've grown so much together because we've just been through a, a kind of journey, I guess. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. We, uh, we, we left East Lansing for Chicago three days before St. Patrick's Day. Young men, and now, or I should say young boys, and now we left Minneapolis slightly more tired boys. Yes. Because, wow, <laughs> are we tired. Um, you know, we've been covering Michigan State now, uh, you know, all season, of course, but uh, we, we've been bringing you these podcasts throughout the postseason, and that ride finally came to an end, and we're going to break it down for you. Um, and then we're also going to give you some of our postseason and future Spartans outlook. Um, so I guess we'll just hop right into it. You know, we talked this time last week about Michigan State being able to win a national title because we, we looked at the field, we looked at Texas Tech, um, we looked at Virginia coming out of the other side, and one part came true, but, um, you know, Texas Tech ends up winning on Saturday, 61-51, um, led by a, a guy named Matt Mooney, who I don't think a lot of people who were expecting Texas Tech to win expected that guy to step up, um, but he made some crazy deep threes, um, and I... I'm not sure if Texas Tech is overall the better team, but they definitely played better for 40 minutes. And um, I think MSU didn't really deserve to win because they shot a season low um, from the field. Cassius Winston was terribly inefficient. He was four for uh, four for 16 from the field. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of talked about this all, all throughout the week, but what'd you see, Chase? Yeah, I mean, Michigan State's previous season low in points was 62. Yeah. Right, 62 would have won the game. Texas Tech only scored 61. Michigan State put up 51 points. That is not enough. And even though there were only 58 possessions, that's still not enough. They were not efficient. Um, they really struggled against um, Texas Tech's no-middle ball screen icing defense. Um, I think Cassius Winston looked out of sorts, particularly in the first half. Um, in the second half, one thing that surprised me a little bit was how easily Texas Tech was able to get to the rim yeah. against Michigan State, which is not something that we've seen a lot um, this season. I think we've seen Michigan State struggle at times offensively. I don't know if we've seen them struggle as much defensively um, as they did in the early part of the second half um, on Saturday night. And, yeah, like you said, I think that, yes, of course there's there's going to be you know, a guy that maybe you're not expecting, and, and that was Matt Mooney, the um, graduate transfer from South Dakota State by way of Air Force. Um, but he's, you know, scoring 22 points on 8 of 16 shooting and four three-pointers, that's and especially seeing that impressive. he came into the game averaging like 10 points. Um, you know, obviously averaging double figures is impressive, but to essentially double what you came in with. Um, and then you have Jarrett Culver coming in at the end, w who, delivering the dagger. Um, you know, this game almost sort of reminded me of the Syracuse game that ousted MSU last year. A little bit, yeah. Um, but I guess in a sense that Michigan State had a chance to come back into the game. With two minutes and change left, it was it was a one-point game. It was 52-51. Um, and then... the 
there were two turnovers, and then Matt McQuaid missed what could have been a game-tying three. Um, and that, you know, when you get opportunities like that and when you miss the front end of three different one-and-ones, Tom Izzo said it best, like, you don't deserve to win when you when you get so many opportunities and you can't fall through with those. Yeah, and Texas Tech closed the game on a 9 nothing run. I thought that one thing that, I, that really sort of stood out to me um, about Michigan State's performance was how disjointed they looked offensively and in a way that they haven't really in many ways all season. You know, they've, they've, they've had games where they've had a lot of turnovers, like against Illinois and uh, some pretty bad performances against Indiana and things like that. But I don't know if they ever looked this out of sorts. And credit Texas Tech for that, obviously. You know, one thing that Texas Tech is really good at is sort of starving the ancillary pieces. We saw that even in their loss last night to Virginia, mm-hmm. right, um, that Kyle Guy, um, Ty Jerome, and DeAndre Hunter went off, but really nobody else did much scoring for for Virginia. So it's a sort of a similar thing, right? Winston scores 16, McQuaid scores 12, Henry scores 11. So those are decent performances. Tillman only scores seven. Ward only scores five. And that's the only scoring. Kenny Goins in his final game as a Spartan doesn't score. Gabe Brown doesn't score in 14 minutes when Henry, Aaron Henry uh, had foul trouble in the first half. So that's important. And, and that's something that Michigan State's really thrived on all year. It's, yes, the individual brilliance of Winston, but also the fact that they can get a bucket from any guy at any time. And when Winston isn't playing at his best, and he wasn't, like you said, going four for 16 from the field and two for eight from three, having somebody that can get a bucket in that situation, you know, changes things. And, and it's not an excuse. It's just a reality that, you know, having a guy like Joshua Langford, who obviously they haven't had for a long time, helps in a game like this because it's a guy that can get a bucket. And right now, I shouldn't say right now, I mean, the season's over, but, you know, with McQuaid and Glenn's leaving, they're going to need guys to step up and take the burden off Winston from a scoring perspective, right? And, I mean, obviously we'll get into the, the future talk later, but that's one thing that really kind of stood out to me was that if Winston doesn't have it going, they don't really have a secondary individual scorer. What, what stood out to me, I feel like, is when Chris Beard was drawing up a game plan for Michigan State. It started with stopping Cassius Winston, and then it trickled down to stopping the wings. Um, because, you know, and even stopping perimeter shooting, because it, you, you saw it in the game against Virginia that the way to beat Texas Tech is through three-point shooting. And, I mean, Michigan tried to do that. Uh, Gonzaga tried to do that. And Michigan State tried to do it, and they weren't able to do it. Um, obviously, Kenny Goins missing all four of his shots were, were big. Um, McQuaid going three of seven from three. Also, like, that's not much better than Winston's two of eight. Um, and just the inability to get it inside. And it, it, it almost felt like they were trying to force a square peg into a round hole um, with, with Goins and Ward that no matter what they tried to do that you know they thought that Nick Ward could just play bully ball or similar with Xavier Tillman and it just it wasn't going to work yeah it was it was interesting that um the players said at halftime one of the things that that Izzo said after they really had trouble scoring in the latter part of this of the first half was to get it inside more and I, it, that wasn't what I felt. Yeah, I at feel the like time. that played right into Texas Tech's hand. Yeah, because I think Narenzo Odiase was playing really well, and I think that Tariq Owens was playing really well before he hurt his ankle. 
And I think that um, Culver, for as much as he struggled defensively, did a pretty good job on those helping. You know, Texas Tech helps so aggressively. And I guess, you know, the idea is get it inside and kick it out. But those plays weren't being made quickly enough. I mean, how many times did we say to each other during that game, they're not moving the ball quickly enough, right? If you st- if you stand around against Texas Tech, they're going to swarm you, yeah. right? Like you gotta you got to keep the ball moving and you got to keep players moving. Excuse me. And they weren't really able to do that. And I wonder if part of that is that early in the season, this team was a, a, such a such a run and gun team. And you know, after Langford Arns go down, Ward goes down, you know, he came back. But they became so reliant on Xavier Tillman, Kenny Goins, and Cassius Winston running ball screens in a way that we really haven't seen a Tom Izzo team have that sort of. Um, game plan really yeah. ever the, 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 you know just just ball screen after ball screen after ball screen after ball screen after ball screen it's it very John Beeline is what it was um, and it obviously worked you know they made the final four you know we, we'll talk about that in a little bit but you know they they, 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 they they didn't play well there were some flaws exposed it doesn't mean it was a terrible season yeah. I think that sometimes people have this tendency to just um, to throw all accomplishments out because you lost the last game of the season. Well, everyone loses the last game of the season besides Virginia, Texas, and I think Marshall? Was it Marshall? That but but nobody cares about Marshall and Texas. Right. So it's, it's basically a, just Virginia. And so yeah. you're going to lose the last game of your season. That's part of the reality of the tournament unless you're the last team standing. And I, yes, you know, in a vacuum... This was a winnable Final Four for Michigan State. I think they came in, you know, they were the second favorite to Virginia. Um, They were favored to beat Texas Tech. um, And they didn't do it. And so that, in that sense, that is a disappointment. I think on a greater scale for this team to have come in with high expectations because it's Michigan State. Yeah. But to have lost Jaron Jackson to Miles Bridges... Um, to lose Joshua Langford and Kyle Arns during the season, to lose Nick Ward for a portion of the season, and to make the Final Four with a starting five of a point guard who's like my height, uh, McQuaid, who is essentially starting for the first time in his career, Goins, who's starting for the first time in his five-year career, a freshman at the three, and then Xavier Tillman starting for the first time in his career. I mean, if you think about the difference in this lineup between the team that lost to Syracuse and the team that lost to Texas Tech, just from a players in the lineup, there's really only one guy that was starting both games, I believe. Yeah. Did McQuaid yeah. start the Syracuse game? Uh, I don't think so. Let's see. It was no, no, no. It would have been because it was Langford, Langford, was, Bridges, uh, Jackson, and Ward. Yeah. So. This is a, a radically different team than um, the team from a season before. Yeah, I, you know, I think the the growing up on the fly that this team had to do is nothing like a, a, a Tom Izzo team that I've ever seen done before. And like we we've done, the media has compared this team to the the you know the ninety nine two thousand team in so many different ways because of its mental toughness and its resiliency to finish through games that I, I, I think especially after beating Duke, um, they thought that the sky was the limit. 
And to me, this Texas Tech game, it looked like they ran out of gas. Um, and But for anybody to say that this team failed at its job, it, it, it was a disappointing loss, and I get the frustrations of that because of the the down year of the tournament field and the teams that were in the Final Four. But to, to take away the fact of everything that you just said, just from the, a sheer injury standpoint and losing guys from the year before, um, I don't think anybody would have told you that if Gabe Brown were to play, what, 13, 14 minutes? 14 minutes, In yeah. the Final Four, that a team would even have a remote shot at winning it. Um, and so just the fact that guys stepped up and they did their job and they, they were so selfless in helping each other out, um, you know, it, it laid the foundation for a, a good Spartan team in the future. And you, now you have talking heads coming out now um, where Michigan State is as high as the number one team in the country in, like, two early rankings for next season. Um, so we can get into that, I guess, a little bit. Um, is there anything else you want to mention about this? Yeah, just that, that just the sense that I think that Texas Tech was damn good and that Texas Tech yeah. could have easily won the national championship if one or two bounces went their way against Virginia. And so I think that, yes, it's not a team littered with NBA talent, but Michigan State isn't either. And so sometimes I think if it was the same team wearing different jerseys, I don't think people would have been as surprised or disappointed. I think if Texas Tech has the same personnel, but they're wearing Carolina blue, then everybody says, well, Michigan State lost to North Carolina. Yeah. And that happens because it's North Carolina. And this was Texas Tech. This was a year of new blood which was exciting to have a, a national championship game between two first-time participants in that game and to have um, the ending that it did with you know, Virginia sort of avenging um, last year's disappointment. So that, I, thought that was, I thought that was noteworthy. I think for a basketball purist standpoint, it was a great Final Four to watch and it was a great national championship game to watch. But I get from the standpoint that if you're the NCAA and you're into marketing to the everyday person that – you needed a and – and it definitely, like, selling the storyline of Virginia losing to UMBC last year and now they're winning a national championship, that's that's a great redemption story. And if, if you're trying to market your game, then you need to push that as far as possible. Um, but I, I get the frustration of not having a blue blood and not even having a team like Michigan State where really if you've – paid any attention to college basketball this year, Virginia was probably the only team on, on a, like a relatively um, normal person's radar. And so, well, that in Michigan State, but I mean, not knowing about Texas Tech, um, you know, people didn't really start learning about them until late in the season. Um, but overall, I thought it was, it was a great matchup. It, it was a boring first half between Texas Tech and Virginia. Um, but as the game got on and as Texas Tech started getting hot and shooting threes, I mean, it was pretty interesting. Virginia lost two 10-plus point leads, and that's remarkable. And for Texas Tech to come back in the closing minutes and send it into overtime, that's that's no simple feat. Yeah, um, I thought that the, what Texas Tech did last night was pretty impressive, and I thought, obviously, Virginia pulling it out. At the end was impressive. I thought there were three good games in Minneapolis. You know, um, Virginia Auburn with the controversy at the end was obviously kind of a thriller. 
Texas Tech-Michigan State looked like it was going to maybe be a blowout, and then Michigan State came back with that 13-2 run to cut it to one with 2-24, I believe, remaining. And and then Texas Tech, you know, closed it out. So it, it looks like a 10-point game, but of course it was in doubt until really the last minute, yeah. and Culver hits a three like right at the one-minute mark, mm-hmm. kind of to ice it. But um, and then and then last night the overtime game, I and mean, that was one of the better championship games I can recall. I'm, I'm trying to think. I thought it was a much better game than um, Carolina Gonzaga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the last one at that level, obviously, um, Carolina Villanova with Chris Jenkins hitting the shot to win the title was an iconic Incredible. finish. Um, there's been some good ones. Duke Butler gets a lot of love, which is weird because it wasn't a good game. It just Gordon Hayward almost made a shot to win the game, but it wasn't really a great game. I think this one should be remembered, though, for DeAndre Hunter. Yeah. Because that dude went off. And, it, it you know, obviously uh, Culver, Jarrett Culver and Hunter were the only two perceived NBA lottery picks um, in, in the game. And if you're a scout, obviously that's what you want to see out of DeAndre Hunter because that dude balled out. He had, what, 27 points, and he had some of the craziest threes that I've ever seen. Yeah, and in and in big spots, too. Obviously, a three to tie the game with 12 seconds left, and then a three to put Virginia up by two with a couple minutes left in overtime, which they would not um, trail again. Yeah, I thought I thought Hunter, you know, because he played so poorly in the first half, and he missed his first seven shots. And then for him to turn it on in that way was really impressive. Um, killers kill, man. Killers kill. As as, uh, as as one killer once said. As one killer once killed. said. Well, you know, I mean, listen, it, it, if Kenny Goins, he'll he'll live forever in Michigan State lore, despite and um, in one shining moment, and in one shining moment, despite his um, goose egg on Saturday. But the ball is but uh, the ball is ten. But uh, with Goins and McQuaid leaving, obviously, um, we can talk about next year, and we can talk about kind of what Spartans have, because as you as you said. Some people are pegging them as, you know, one of the top teams in the country for next year, which is absurd, not because that's absurd, just because to pretend like we know who's even going to be on what team next year is kind of crazy. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously there's so, so much of an off season. The, the coaching carousel has to sort of, you know, it's only getting in the beginning stages of turning right now. Shout out Mick Cronin. Yeah, uh, UCLA, man. I, that Oof. That is Oof. one rough PR uh, stunt for a coaching search. I think he's a decent coach. He's a good coach, oh. but to to miss out on Calipari and uh, the Tennessee coach, his name is slipping me right now. Yeah, Barnes. Um, that's just that's a really painful look, uh, kind of cringy. Um, but it, I, I, you know, people are saying that Michigan State now with the talent that they're keeping and the recruits that they're having come in. Uh, they're they're not going to be missing much. I mean, obviously, you're going to miss the senior leadership of guys like um, McQuaid and Goins, and and so you have you know McQuaid and Goins leaving, and their leadership is going to be hard to replace because they're seniors, they're guys that have been around the program, and obviously Matt McQuaid was a captain. Um, but with that, you're going to have Josh Langford back, hopefully for the whole season. Um, you're going to have Kyle Lawrence back. You're going to have maybe Cassius Winston. Um, but you're also going to have a, a group of pretty talented freshmen, and I think people are going to look forward to Rocket Watts. Um, just, I, 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 is it easier to start with the freshmen, and then we'll talk about um, other other possible departure situations? Yeah, I think we can talk about Watts. Um, 
you know, sort of a highly touted guy originally from Detroit playing at Spire in Ohio with a slightly more famous yet less talented teammate. And an awesome nickname. Yeah. Yeah, Mark Watts. This is um, Mark Rocket Watts. Birth name, but yeah, so kind of a combo guard, you know, six two, or at least he's listed that way. I haven't seen him play in yeah, person. Listed, listed That's funny, um, but uh, yeah, so you know, he's obviously a pretty talented offensive player. I think the concern is perhaps him as a a ball handler or as a distributor, and at that height, you need to be that. So. I think I think it's an interesting uh, guy to bring into the program, and uh, he hasn't officially signed, which is odd. But all indications are that he will do so soon. Yeah. Um, so he will be a guy that can come in and uh, get guard minutes. I don't know from who necessarily, whether it's um, Gabe Brown or Foster Lawyer or someone. But uh, I do expect him to play some. And then the other two guys, Malik Hall and Julius Marble, are both four men um, that will add to the big man depth, although I think we should probably talk about what we think is going to happen um, with the bigs. Um, and Yeah, I, you know, I feel like the writing is on the wall, especially after Marble announced that he was going to sign with Michigan State. Right. And Tom Izzo, it felt like he was looking for a big man to add to this class. And by my guess, that would just be because Nick Ward is going to leave. Right. I'm sure he would have preferred if it was Vernon Carey or Isaiah Stewart, but Julius Marble will do. And, yeah, I think, as you said, I think, yeah, I would be pretty surprised if Nick Ward came back for a senior season. Yeah. And, and I think some people say, well, he's not going to be drafted that high. And I don't think, I don't he's think it matters. Be at all. <laughs> I, I just, it, from his body language to the, the way that he acted around at least us, but that was before the tournament because put that man in front of a microphone and he glows up. Um, just, I, I, I don't feel like he's right for college anymore. And that's not a bad thing. I, I think he's just ready to sort of go out and find his own thing and try and make his own. Um, and to if he could do that in, in Europe, if he could do that um, elsewhere abroad, maybe China, um, I guess time will tell. But uh, I... I would be very shocked if Nick Ward came back for his senior season. Right, because he wanted to leave last year. Yeah. Right, and he was told don't. He's probably going to get a similar answer this year. Um, if anything, his draft stock might have fallen because he had yeah, injury and concerns he, and he wasn't and his quite fell. And he wasn't quite the dominant offensive force that he was. Although he has become a better defender. I wonder, though, what will happen if the NBA tells him we don't want you, essentially which is what we expect would happen. I wonder um, if he'll just say, well, forget it, I'm leaving, I don't care. Um, we think that's probably going to happen. Well, because I I think you looked at it a little while back that if he does decide to stay, that wouldn't create an overcrowded roster, right? Like there, no, there wouldn't he can. be too many people on no, scholarship, he, he right? He can stay. He okay. can stay if he wants because they were holding a scholarship after um, – yeah. Jaron Jackson left. But, yeah, so so he can stay. I just don't know how it work out. Would. Yeah, yeah, I think it's sort of – I think it's maybe a mutually beneficial situation. We saw Jordan Poole earlier today announce that he is entering the NBA draft, although he could come back. Um, I think that's a situation where John Beeline and Jordan Poole are probably on the same page, which is this was great while it lasted, but all great things must end. 
um, because, you know, they just don't love each other anymore, and that's okay. And I think that that might be kind of the situation here. Um, but without Ward, we can sort of assume just for the purposes of this that they won't have Ward. You're going to see a lot of Xavier Tillman, obviously. Um, and that should be an exciting thing for Michigan State fans. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if at this point in time next year in 2020, we're talking about Xavier Tillman leaving, but for totally different reasons. Um, just the growth that I've seen him over the last two years. I, I remember last year at the end of the Syracuse game, uh, Xavier Tillman were like, wow, this is a guy who's been really productive in limited minutes and like five, ten minute stretches off the bench. Um, but now, I mean, he's turned into a starter. He's going to be the starting power forward, small forward next year. Um, and he's just his his game. I, I think the next step for him is developing a shot from three. And you're seeing it in limited stretches here, but that's only when he's wide, wide, wide open. And he needs to sort of take a page out of the Kenny Goins book um, for shooting threes, although I feel like with Goins, uh, water definitely found its level. Um, but if, if he's a guy that can make, you know, two or three shots from deep a game next year, uh, that, that opens up things even more when he's on the floor right now as compared to when Ward was the big um, and he, you know, because he's so much better off high ball screens and it opens up a, a, a faster-paced offense, um, sort of like how Michigan had done over the last couple of years. Um, and then, it, it, to me, the starting lineup next year is if Cassius Winston doesn't leave, be, um, he would be the point guard. Right. And then you would have Bra- uh, uh, Langford, uh, Langford, Henry, Tillman, and then who would probably be the last starting guard there? Ahrens? That's that's the conversation. Is um, is Henry playing the three or the four? Yeah. Because if he's playing the four, then you would probably bring in Ahrens certainly to start the season. Um, the various media members of the Rocket Watts fan club want him to start. Um, I think that that's possible. I don't think it's possible in the first game of the season. That's pretty unusual for Izzo to do with the freshman. That's not like a I, I feel like it's going to be lottery guy. kind of like what happens with Aaron Henry. Like, it, obviously it was for different circumstances because guys got hurt, but that's how through shorthandedness and through playing through rotations, like Aaron Henry had to earn his spot per se. Um, as a like, and that's probably what Watts is going to have to do. Um, because I, I, I think we've learned now, at least in my opinion, uh, Kyle Arns can really only give you no more than 20 minutes a game. I, to me, it seemed like his body wore down the more time he played. Um, and that's nothing against his conditioning or anything. I just feel like he has a physical ceiling. Um, and he, he reached that ceiling. And he tried to go past it. And he it, it seems like there's been an injury with Kyle every single year. Yeah. Um, and so if, if that's how Watts can find a way to get playing time, then that's probably what it's going to end up being. Um, but then we could also talk about rotations in the front court with either Thomas Kithier or Marcus Bingham. Um, that's also kind of wide open. Yeah, I think I think Bingham's the, the wild card here, and he didn't play a lot this year. No. Um, 
but he could. If he got bigger, I think if the coaching staff could have any possible outcome, it would be the development of Marcus Bingham to the point where they could play him at the four because yeah. he can shoot. So there's your Kenny Glenn shooting. He is long, so he should theoretically be able to rebound. He just needs to eat. The boy lot. needs to eat, and he needs to get stronger, and he needs to get better defensively. And obviously, those are three hard things to happen. I kind of think that they probably wish that they could have redshirted him this year. Yeah, although I don't know how much that matters. You know, we we're talking about DeAndre Hunter. He's a redshirt sophomore, but he's yeah. definitely gone to the, the NBA. And it's like, well, why don't you just use him? This freshman year, yeah, because he ain't gonna be around for very long. You know, it's a little different in football. Um, yeah, I, I sure, yeah, maybe, but I think that if it works out with Bingham the way they're hoping it does, he might not be around for four years anyway. Um, but that that is an interesting con- or question. So I, I think I think Aaron's is sort of the safe fifth member of the starting lineup. Yeah, I, I think at the beginning of the year, it's definitely going to be that. By the end of the year, it could be a totally different question. Well, I think it could be Bingo. That's because I think that Izzo wants so, that length. Where do you think Kithier fits in to all this? I think Kithier is the backup big. He is the Tillman at the beginning of the year or at the end of the year situation where um, he's giving he, – I just don't think Kithier is capable of playing a lot of at the four because he can't shoot. Yeah. And he's not that mobile. He do, Kithier does a good job of what he does. I just don't think that he's he's a decent rebounder. Which yeah, he's is a decent rebounder. He's yeah. I I don't think there's anything against Kithier. I just think that he has a role and it's very specific. Yeah. And so I think that he his minutes will be mostly spelling Xavier Tillman. I think that probably um, him coming in. I don't I don't think he would come in to play the four. I think if he if him and Tillman. I just don't think him and Tillman will be on the floor floor at the same time. So if 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 there's a situation where somebody else needs to come out, I think it, it you put Henry at the four, yeah, and Tillman at the five, and you put Watts in, or you put Gabe Brown in, or something like that. I don't I don't I don't anticipate a lot of Kithier and Tillman on the floor together. I know we saw some of that this year, and it's going to be funny but because that was out of necessity. If if this team can stay healthy next year, they're going to be really deep at the wing, which is exactly the opposite of what happened this year, right? Um, and I, I think the biggest thing is they're still going to be looking for a backup point guard um, because they they don't really have a guy other than Foster Lawyer. And I guess, the, you know, if you're really counting Rocket Watts as a combo guard, um, a, a guy to really find other guys and create open shots for other shooters. Um, but I think Foster Lawyer has a lot of growing up to do um, between now and the beginning of next season. Right, they have to find someone who can spell Cassius Winston for eight minutes a game for 90% of the games. He's going to have to play a lot maybe in the tournament, excuse me, or something, the the, the, the massive games, but against the, the Illinois of the world and the Indianas of the world and the Marylands of the world and the Penn States of the world and these teams that they struggled against this year in a lot of ways, um, you can't have Winston out there for 40 minutes. It's just going to wear down. Yeah. We saw that. You know, he just came kind of was out of ga- gas against Texas Tech. I think they would have really liked to be been able to play him 33 minutes instead of 38 against Ohio State. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it, I guess it's a bad example. This lawyer actually did play well against Ohio State. But, yeah, they're going to have to find um, those minutes. And I, I don't 
agree with the notion that Lawyer can't do it at this level. I no, think I think he's he a can. freshman, and I think that it's hard to step in, and I don't think that under normal circumstances he would have. And it, I don't know. I guess just between my time covering MSU, just with Tom Tom and Cassius, and now Foster Lawyer, is Tom Izzo has had this trend of having undersized but cerebral point guards. And with Tum Tum, he was incredibly smart. He was an, an awesome leader, um, but he wasn't able to ever create space for other people, um, and especially himself. He, he couldn't he, shoot. Yeah. He always tried to one-on-one ISO people to the rim because he was so fast, um, but that didn't really account for anything when you can't finish. Um, obviously, Cassius were putting him among the ranks of Mateen Cleves and Magic Johnson because he's ascended from this sort of scrawny guy that he we knew he was good we knew he was a four-star guy coming in but you know he was in the running for national player of the year he was a consensus all-american he was big 10 player of the year and he has the chance to do it again um you know if if he decides to explore the nba draft i feel like he's taking a gamble on himself by coming back to MSU for another year because his draft stock may not be as high as it ever could be, but at the, at the same time, it could also be his best chance at, you know, elevating himself from a late mid first round pick to maybe an edge of the lottery type guy. Yeah, I maybe I think there's sort of an athletic ceiling. Although I will say, yeah. I think that he's probably the preseason favorite to win National Player of the Year. Yeah. Because I, I feel like with every indication, if you look at his social media, I don't think he really anticipates on going anywhere. Yeah, I don't think so. I, I think would he be, might do the process, but yeah, I would be pretty I, surprised if he left. I, you know, I think every player, if they feel like they have the ability to get the money and go at the next level, then they should, by every means, do that. Um, it's just, you know... I. If he if he feels like he can gamble on himself and it'll pay off next year, then it, it's best for all parties involved. And he sounds like a guy who's coming back. Yeah. And all everything he's saying and, and, and it's you know, and usually you can tell by the way that people are talking. Like with Michigan they have three declarations today and yeah. Poole ends up keeping his name in the draft, whether he comes back to Michigan after um, going through that process, whether he transfers, which is what some people think. Um as opposed to Brasdakis, who was, like, pretty clearly leaving. And, like, everything he says is like, oh, yeah, I'm gone, bye. Yeah. Uh, this has been my dream, I'm out. And um, it's, it's funny because it reminds me of a story last year after the Syracuse game. You know, people knew that Miles Bridges and Jaron – well, everyone wasn't sold that Jaron Jackson was going to leave, but everybody knew that Miles – his time was up. Right. And somebody had just asked Cassius, he's like, what about your future? And he kind of, like, looks at other reporters in the scrum, and he's like, who, me? Like – you're serious, are you? And it it was kind of funny just because like the that the position the growth from a year you know like right. the the notion of him going to the NBA a year ago was you know crazy and now he's now he's in a chance where I mean he probably won't but he has the ability to right and that's that's just awesome to see from a growth standpoint um, and you know that's kind of like Xavier Tillman now um, but I think you know looking ahead to next year. I, I'm kind of interested to see where Malik Hall sort of fits into things. Obviously, he's going to be a guy off the bench, um, but he seems like he, he could be a pretty reliable guy at the four, especially, you know, not next year, but in the years to follow. Yeah, because I think next year is probably Xavier Tillman's last season Yeah, um, at Michigan State. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I do think that's interesting. I wonder how many guys Izzo will play, particularly at those big positions. You know, because it's 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 that thing where Gabe Brown makes some shots early in the year against some no name teams, and it's like, oh, Gabe Brown. But then, you know, Izzo doesn't want to play him because there's a, a lack of um, defensive intensity. And the rea- the reality is, is we don't know with freshmen really, unless they're the blue chip guys. It's yeah. pretty hard to reject what they're going to do because you don't know what they're going to do um, when they're put in a real system. Yeah, when they're put in a system that demands defensive effort on every single possession. It's not something that you have to do in AAU. It's not something you have to do in high school because you're better than everybody you're playing against. And all of a sudden you get to the Big Ten, and that's not the case anymore. And so um, I wonder I, – I, I do think Malik Hall has a promising future at Michigan State. I, I don't anticipate him playing a ton this coming year for the same reason that Marcus Bingham didn't play a lot this coming yeah. year because he wasn't ready. And I, I think, you know, I don't want to sound like we're rambling right now, but I think next year could be a huge year for Aaron Henry. Right. Um, you know, you saw the defensive ability, what he was able to do this year, paired with an offseason. And Tom Izzo always says a, a player's biggest growth is from their freshman year to their sophomore year. Um, well, you look at a guy like Jarrett Culver, right, yeah. who comes in as a three-star guy, or it might have actually been a two-star guy from – right down the road in Lubbock mm-hmm. and freshman year you know solid year whatever he's part of the team you know you had Keenan Evans and Zaire Smith and everything that was on that Texas Tech team that made the Elite Eight a year ago and then this he year develops a lottery pick. and now he's a lottery pick and a surefire lottery pick and he didn't play his best game last night but certainly a guy that everybody kind of expects um, to be a productive NBA player for a long time now, Aaron Henry that could be him, right? And he was a much higher talented player. And obviously, they're, yeah. they're not. It's not a one to one comparison. But I, I do think that the, the signs that were there yeah. um, in in Culver's performance in the tournament last season, right? Him going toe to toe with with Villanova, with with Eric Paschal and 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 um, Dante DiVincenzo and 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 Phil Booth and, and that team that that won the national title. And you know, he was Texas Tech's main scorer in that game and things like that. Um, if you could Frankenstein Gabe Brown's shooting confidence into Aaron Henry's defensive ability, you would have one hell of a player. You have Jared Culver. Yeah. Right. And 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 so that's that's something that is a work in progress. And, and you know, we how often have we talked to Aaron Henry this year about that mental hurdle of being a yeah. freshman in the Big Ten and how difficult it is? But I do think that he played some of his best basketball towards the end of the season and I agree with you I think that next year is the year for that leap yeah and you know I, I haven't looked but I would imagine Michigan State is the favorite to uh, win the Big Ten well particularly after today I think yeah. that I think so Matthews we knew was gone for Michigan yep Brazdakis it sounds like is definitely gone Pools a maybe he might just not be in Michigan even yeah. if he's in the, not in the NBA so those are big blows to the Wolverines, and so they'll they'll be fine, and they're going to be a good team. And Beeline's a hell of a coach. And so then that leaves Purdue, who will now be Carson Edwardsless. Yes, Edwardsless for the first time in years, right? Because no Vincent Edwards, no Carson Edwards. So they have a third Edwards. I don't know, but they're not going to have Ryan Klein. Sad. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a lot of Nogel Easterns. It's going to be a lot of Travion Williams. It'll be a fun team. Very, very much a rebuilding type year, I feel like for Purdue. Right, but we said that this year. Yeah. Right, and that's, that's so that's that's the thing about Matt Painter. So we don't know, but I do think Michigan State will be a heavy favorite. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think Ohio State comes in with, like, a decent class. They do have a decent class, yeah. But but they got a long way to go. Yeah. Um, so, you know, time will tell. Uh, is there any final thoughts? Any final musings? 
Yeah, just that I, I do think that that um, that it, the season was a success, right? So I do. There, you you reached those eighth final four. Did it end the way they wanted it to? No, but um, they could they continued the streak of twenty was it twenty three out of twenty four recruiting classes have reached the final four yeah. if they stayed four years with Matt McQuaid reaching his first final four, um, and they sort of set up the program for future success. You know, we talked about that a little yeah. bit with Virginia yesterday, was that, that a foundation has to be built yeah. sometimes and before you get you know, to where you need to go. I asked, I asked Tillman, you know, you guys got a taste with the Final Four, and obviously if you're a competitor, you want to go back. And he's like, that's exactly how you put it. You know, you, you get the taste, and it's motivation for you to come back and, you know, for to, to finally finish what you started. Um, so, yeah. I think that's that's a wrap, a wrap on the on a great season for Michigan State, and for State News B coverage. Indeed, uh, Chase, he, you did a fantastic job. Thanks. Um, just you as well. A, a, a class act. Um, I, I'm thankful for Marie, our editor in chief, for bringing me back on for a third year. I feel like a dinosaur, um, but it's time for this baby bird to spread its wings. And so I'd like to thank our readers uh, for a, a great season. And as always, you can check out our content at statenews.com. You can check out our personal uh, Twitter accounts at ChaseMarino13, at Casey underscore Harrison1. And you can check out our SoundCloud, uh, soundcloud.com forward slash statenews. Uh, Facebook, uh, I think we have an Instagram somewhere. And um, listen to our other podcasts. We have uh, Snoozic and what's the other one? Uh, Snoozecast. At, uh, it's all great stuff, guys. Um, so thank you for watching, thank you for listening, thank you for reading, and I guess until next year, 